they are. They're really adept at getting up into those rocks and, and being able to balance around those rocks really well. And, and you know, the, the, just watching them, you know, just sitting with the glass and watching them maneuver through some of that crap um, and then trying to walk where they walked. And I've done that a few times and try to follow their trail and there's just nothing to work with. Um, but you are right. They've got that weird tip on their hooves too. And it, it almost acts like a really stiff mountain climbing boot and just kind of jams into the, the stuff that they're using to get a toehold on a literal toehold. Um, and they, they somehow, some way they can just cling on to whatever they're walking through and get up in, into and through some really nasty stuff. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. Alrighty, sir. Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast today. Are you in Reno right now? Yeah, sitting in Reno, Nevada right now. Okay. Well, we've got Mr. Jason Peak from the board of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, and we're going to talk about mountain goats. Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> so I got to go goat hunting for the first time that I was ever, you know, behind the gun this year in Kodiak. It just had an awesome experience up there. Anytime that you get to be around mountain goats is a cool thing. And if you're actually getting to hunt, there's that next level of interaction um, that really can't be beat. But have you got to goat hunt yourself very much? Yeah, uh, quite a few times. Um, I, and I agree with you. They're, they're just cool animals. There's a lot to be known about them. Um, they got some interesting characteristics. They got some interesting habits. Um, you get around them and, you know, they just live in such cool country um, they, you know, they're like big bears running around up in some of the tightest spots you've ever seen. Um, they're just neat, you know, and, and they're pretty hardy animals. So it's fun to see them in different places and in different weather conditions. And I'm sure if you were up in Kodiak, you got some weather, but it, it always seems like the nastier the weather, the, the more fun the mountain goat hunting gets. So well, let's talk a little bit about what, what the mountain goat is you know, as an organism and, and what allows them to stay up there in the mountains all year long. And that's really one of the most amazing things to me. Like I can get around on the rocks. There's lots of animals that can get around on the rocks, 
but they spend the winter up there. That is yeah. absolutely unbelievable. And if you haven't lived in, in a high altitude area where you're looking up in the mountains all winter long and just thinking, thank God I'm not up there. <laughs> right. Cause we, yeah. we wouldn't make it for minutes um, in the stuff that they're out in, in every storm all year long. It's just crazy. Yeah. Um, if, if you look at the way they're built um, and, and the way they move and their, their diet and the way they act, um, you, you can kind of tell why they live where they live. And they're, they're just, like I said, they're kind of, they're kind of built like bears, just big bears. You know, they're kind of front heavy. They got those big shoulders and I, I can't quite figure it out, but like the, the, the big shoulders help them kind of maneuver around and help them climb more. That big front end kind of helps drag them up mountains. Um, they've got, you know, cool coats, um, a, a double layer of hair that keeps them warm throughout that crappy weather. Uh, and then it just comes off in big clumps uh, in the summer or in the spring when, when they start shedding that coat. Uh, and they look like big fuzzy tennis balls when they're up there in the summer. They, they really adapt. And I don't know, um, the, the coolest thing I remember, my, my first mountain goat when I shot him, uh, the coolest thing I remember were, were the hooves. And you, you look at the way their hooves are built, and, you know, a, a, a mountain goat, is, it's not a goat. It's kind of from the antelope family. It it's sort of comes from a little bit different line. But they've got, they've got kind of cloven hooves that separate, and, and the padding on the bottom of them, they, they live in such harsh conditions and in such nasty terrain but the bottom of those uh, hooves are so soft. I don't know if you dinked around with them at all and looked at them after you got him, but that was the most interesting thing to me is, is how their, their hooves are built and how they, they kind of somehow just grab onto things. And I, I guess, I don't know, the, the way they spread apart, maybe, I don't know. It just allows them to have a little bit more traction and foothold in some of those tight spots they get into. Um, they're just, yeah, they're just neat animals and they're built somehow they're built and they've adapted over time, you know, 7 million years or however long it's taken them to adapt to get up to live up in the mountains like they do. Um, but man, they are, they're, they're really cool animals. They're neat. Um, their personalities are neat too. Uh, they, they get up in those nasty rocky spots and you see this big burly animal that looks like a white tank. And somehow they can tiptoe around the rocks and, the, and into the crevices. And, you know, that, they, they use that for their main defense is to be able to get into places where predators can't get to them and, and get away from any pressure. So they're cool. They're really neat animals. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to that hoof, you've got that really spongy part in the bottom of the hoof. So they can, you know, step on hard pieces of, of rock that are kind of pokey and that, that sponginess sort of wraps around it and lets them get really good traction. And then as you get out to the edge of the hoof, it becomes really hard. So if they only have the smallest ledge on a rock to put all their weight on, they can use that outside edge to bear all their weight. And then with their, their cloven hoof splitting like that, when they're going downhill and they need more traction, their hoof splits apart. So it's almost like skis going in, in opposite directions, right? So it gives them all yeah. that extra traction from that. 
Um, I think that having so much mass up in their shoulders moves their center of gravity towards the middle of the animal a little bit better so they can kind of pivot and stuff like that. And when you see them going up this really steep stuff, it's almost like a slinky where they're walking forward with their front end and then their back end just sort of follows along. Um, yeah. different from an elk or, you know, some other animal deer where all their power is in their hindquarters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, the, the evolution of those dang things, whoever, whoever told them to grow a big front end knew exactly what they were talking about because they are, they're really adept at getting up into those rocks and, and being able to balance around those rocks really well. And, and, you know, the, the, just watching them, you know, just sitting with the glass and watching them maneuver through some of that crap. Um, and then trying to walk where they walked. And I've done that a few times and try to follow their trail and there's just nothing to work with. Um, but you are right. They've got that weird tip on their hooves too. And it, it almost acts like a really stiff mountain climbing boot and just kind of jams into the, the stuff that they're using to get a toehold on a literal toehold. Um, and they, they somehow, some way they can just cling on to whatever they're walking through and get up in, into and through some really nasty stuff. They're cool. They're, they're, it, it's weird watching them, but once you do, you, you, you're just fascinated at how big they are, but how agile and how well they move through that crap. Yeah. And really methodical, you know, and they'll, they'll get to a spot sort of like a rock climber will, and they'll stop and sort of analyze the problem and figure out how they're going to get through it. And they may stop in a spot like that for an hour and you're watching them thinking, is it stuck? Like what's going to happen next? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, bird watching is one thing. Mountain goat watching it. That's more my speed. They're really fascinating animal and the construction of that hair or wool or whatever you want to call it. It's really got some layers and if you put your hands on a goat late on in the year when they're built their winter coat, I mean, they've just got so much dense hair and wool on the outside of their bodies. Um, it's incredible and really helps you to understand how they can handle the wind and the cold. Um, but still, like that amount of wind and cold and working on the ice and just trying to live off of lichen, um, is that their primary food source in the winter is lichen? I, you know, I think they, and, and quite frankly, I think if you follow nannies around, you'll figure out what they're supposed, you know, what they eat. I think they're pretty opportunistic on whatever they'll eat. Um, it, you know, the, the, the main food sources, whatever's around they they, you know, they, they eat whatever they can. Um, and that's why I, I do think that you see them in the winter. I think that's why you'll see them up on those really nasty windy open spots is because the wind just doesn't allow the snow to accumulate on some of those ridges and those goats that they they know that there's going to be easier access to food um but but you're right anything that's going to be growing in or on or between the rock um i think that's their primary food source i don't think they're very picky when it comes to winter time um and if you watch some of those nannies uh they'll they'll they do a lot of hard work and, and they get really protective too. I, I, you know, I've, I've seen a couple December nannies and you got to think they're probably pregnant. So they're putting on as much weight as they can. Um, but they get pretty aggressive, uh, especially around food sources and they, yeah, I, anything they'll eat, 
uh, or, or anything they can't eat, they will eat. And, you know, the, the, the other thing that I think what they'll do pretty much year round, but it's the thing that's interesting to me is um, they're really prone to getting into spots for minerals. You'll see them, you know, licking handrails at parks and all that stuff. Um, but I, I think they'll do anything they can to get to minerals, which I still don't quite understand that. You know, that's, that's probably above my pay grade. The wild biologist, wildlife biologists would know a heck of a lot more about that. But um, I've seen them get into some weird spots to lick little mineral slicks in, in uh, you know, like in little cracks and crevices on the side of a, a really nasty spot on the mountain. Um, and they'll stretch their body out all the way they can to, to reach that one little white strip of crap that's seeping out of the side of the, the hill. Um, and so I, I, there's something to that. I, I don't know as much about that as I probably should, but I, I agree with you. I think, I think they'll eat pretty much anything and everything. Lichen's, you know, probably the easiest and most accessible during the winter stuff. Um, because it's going to be out on those open ridges that, you know, those windblown ridges where the snow is not accumulating. Um, but I, I, I don't think they're going to pass up pretty much anything that's open and, and available to them during that time of year. Yeah. One of the nice things about lichen is that it's, it's pretty much hundred percent carbohydrate and it's 97% digestible. So while they're not getting a lot of it, you know, in a mouthful, it is keeping them really warm. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Along with that, I think they're doing everything they can just to stay warm and survive. Um, that's why you, it seems like you kind of see them move around a lot more too in the winter. You know, once they, once they find um, getting up on their feet and just standing there is going to help them stay a little bit warmer. Uh, I, yeah, they're, they're, they're interesting animals when it comes to, like you said, standing there for an hour. Uh, not quite sure what they're up to, but um, they're, they're, they're battling the elements just like you and I are. They just don't have Gore-Tex and down and, and synthetics and all that other stuff helping them out like we do. And mountain goats horns are more than just an accessory. That's also a weapon that they're fairly adept at using. That's an advantage to having a short, sharp horn like that. That's sturdy. Um, they can actually do some work with it. I think a lot of people overestimate an elk as a, as having antlers that are used as a weapon, um, they certainly can be used like that, but just the way that they're shaped an elk has a hard time getting them into the action without being really vulnerable, um, in its hindquarters and, you know, even the back of its neck and stuff like that. But goats are pretty hooky. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, you know, uh, deer and elk, they're, they're dropping their antlers every year. So there's a time where they're, defenseless right where um mountain goats those are you know their horns so they're staying on them year round um they're not they're 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 not really they're not big fighters you know they're not like like sheep where they're out button heads and and cracking skulls and all that stuff in my experience they kind of dance a little bit more there's more posturing between goats but yeah there there are times when they'll dig a hook in and um I, I, I got to think that, you know, caught in the, in the wrong spot, one of those uh, horns is going to do some serious damage. And I, I think now that you bring it up, I think that there was a, there may have been a time, I don't know, you might have to Google this, but there, there, there may have been a time where a mountain goat actually killed a guy um, 
that was up hiking in a national park. I want to say it was up in Olympic National Park, maybe. Um, but the, the goat got aggressive and, and hooked him in the leg, I think, or something like that. And um, the poor guy bled out. And so, it, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're weapons, they're daggers. And unlike year and elk, they'll keep them year round so they can use them year round. And I've, I've actually seen nannies get more aggressive with that kind of stuff to kind of protect the food source than, than Billy's will. Um, Billy's kind of, you know, they, they're, they're standoffish with one another. You don't see them really fighting each other all that much, but uh, nannies get pretty aggressive and, and they're not afraid to bring out the hooks, like you said. Nannies are, are wonderful mothers, and what, what these scientists who are living with goats have observed is that for the first several weeks and sometimes even the first couple months of a kid's life, the nanny will always make sure it's on the downhill side of that kid. So when it's up playing around in the rocks, that nanny is there to protect it from falling. Um, and they do a terrific job of, of being mothers and, and protecting those baby goats when they're learning to live on this really nasty country. Yeah, yeah, they, they do that. They certainly do that. They're pretty protective and they kind of, you can tell, um, they kind of take care of their kids. You know, they keep them around. Um, and the, the other thing I, again, I, I hate to keep kind of going back to it, but um nannies once they do find a food source for for them and their kid they they will protect that um and they'll get pretty aggressive because not only are they now eating for themselves they're they're taking care of their kid too um so you'll get them pretty you'll see them get pretty standoffish but that usually that's that's you know kind of in in the dead of winter kind of when it's really crappy um but other times you'll see them in bigger groups, the nannies and the kids will be in bigger groups, you know, in the summer range or the uh, springtime when everything's starting to kind of open up, they'll be in bigger groups and they're pretty, you know, they're more tolerant of each other. Um, but they're always, they're still kind of, you know, they're, they're protecting each other. And, and you're right, they are pretty dang good moms. And uh, look, look at the, look at the elements they got to live with and, and looking at the environment that they're in Um and they only have one kid. Usually they only have one kid. You, you rarely see twins come out of them. Um, so, yeah, they got to do their job and they got to do it well. And I think I don't I can't remember. I, I don't I don't think they're yearly on their mating cycle either. I, I think they they come around every maybe two years or so. I'd have I'd have to check that again. A little bit above my pay grade on the wildlife biology, but. Um, I don't think they come in every year like a deer will uh, or an elk. I, I think it takes them a little bit longer to gestate and, and uh, have the kid and, and, and then carry the kid on out until it's ready to get kicked out and uh, on with the next mating cycle. Well, what you'll see with, with all these species, say an elk, you know, it lives for eight years in the wild. It has to have one successful calf during that eight-year period that makes it into adulthood. And that's how the population can sustain itself. Whenever you have a species that has offspring less frequently, then that means that they have to have a higher chance of survivability. You know, rabbits, they have, you know, six to, to 12 babies at a whack and they can get pregnant while they are pregnant. And then, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. viable for, for, uh, for sexual maturity really quickly, but they have a low rate of survivability. So they have to have that. 
Um, so if you have a species that's too successful, then they'll eat themselves out of house and home. If they're not successful enough, then they're not reproducing and then the species just goes away completely. So that also goes to show what good mothers they are and, and how they do well um, in these environments by the fact that, you know, maybe they're only having a kid every other year once they reach sexual maturity. Now the Rocky Mountain goat is a distinctively North American animal. It does not occur anywhere else in the world. I think that that's something that's really cool. But um, we do have some populations of goats that have been transplanted into areas where they're not native. Kodiak Island is an example of that. The Eagle Cap Wilderness right here next to me is another example of that. The Olympic National Park, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like goats do really well in these areas where they've been introduced, oftentimes even better than areas where they occur naturally. Um, what can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, the, again, I think if you did a little bit of homework, you'd figure out that um, mountain, mountain goats aren't really goats. They're, they're from a, a, an antelope family, but um, they're really hardy. And whenever it was that they crossed the Bering Strait and they, they, they made their way over here, um, they really kind of became their own beast, so to speak, uh, and they had to adapt. And if you look at, you know, one of those maps, the distribution maps that shows uh, Rocky Mountain goats where they are generally, um, it, it starts up way up north, up in Alaska, and just kind of makes a big stripe um, uh, sort of diagonal stripe down all the way down into, you know, Colorado, Nevada. We have them in Nevada, believe it or not. That's a, a transplant um, uh, success story as well. Um, but they, they needed a little bit of help getting to where they are. But once they get there, they're pretty hardy and they're pretty durable animals, um, partly because they, they, the same terrain that they share with other animals um, they are a little bit more aggressive uh, towards other animals than, uh, you know, like a, a, a bighorn sheep or something like that. Uh, you, you can, you know, there, there are situations where uh, a big nanny will drive off a, a bighorn sheep um, for food or for water or stuff like that. Um, the other thing that is pretty interesting, uh, and, and I hadn't really thought about it until I, I I started looking at it a little bit more, but um, where they live, they're, they're smart in where they live because they're kind of a, an above tree line animal. And it's very rare that they'll kind of dip down, but I can't think of any other animal that's as big as them, especially predators that live above tree line like that. So they're really not competing with resources uh, as much as other animals, you know, you, you, you'll see the occasional elk or the occasional deer up above them, but um, you're not seeing big numbers of elk or deer above them. Uh, sheep will live up kind of at that elevation too, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, but really the predators aren't up there either. So they're, they're smart in where they live. And, and that's, I think, part of the adaptation process, obviously. Um, but I think that lends to an, another reason why, like you said, they're, they're, with them not having kids as often as other animals do, maybe that's why they're up there, or maybe that's, you know, maybe it's, it's chicken or the egg kind of thing. But um, that's always been an interesting thing that I thought about that, that, you know, you, uh, other than mountain lions, uh, 
you know, which, which can take down a, a, a good sized billy even, um, you really don't see many predators that are up at the elevation they'll live above tree line, you know, up in the Alpine, 13, 14,000 feet up in the air. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest predators for those kids, besides the National Park Service, is eagles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll see them grab. Yeah. They, the, the, the golden eagles, especially because golden eagles are typically kind of in that same terrain that you'll find mountain goats. Um, golden eagles. And I've never seen one. And I probably, if I did, I'd have a hard time probably watching it happen. But um, you do see, and uh, you know, you see videos and you hear stories about how they'll uh, wait until the kids kind of just at the wrong spot and mom's not around to, to, uh, to help out much. And that Eagle will swoop down and uh, either kind of pick them up and lift them a little bit. So they fall or they'll knock them off and, and off they go off the cliff. And, but you're right. There are, there are big birds that can take them down um, for sure. So in these areas where they've been introduced, those populations tend to be a lot more huntable than the native populations. Do you have any insight into that? How do you mean when you say it's more huntable? More huntable as in um, the population can sustain harvest better than in, in areas where they are native. Everything that, that I've experienced and read indicates that if you have a mountain goat population transplanted to a new area and they, they take foot there and, and they do well, those populations can sustain harvest a lot better than native populations that are part of the Rocky Mountains. So like you take the, the Eagle Caps or, or, uh, or the Elkhorn Mountains, for example, you know, we can kill, you know, a handful of goats here every single year and it doesn't necessarily affect the population, even if the hunters get it wrong and are, you know, accidentally shooting nannies instead of billies. Whereas if you go to a portion of the Rockies where they're native, you have to be a lot more careful about how that harvest occurs and limit it even more so than areas where they're not native. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I guess I've never really, I, I, I probably should be looking at information like that. Um, that would be a, uh, interesting to look at. And I guess I've never really thought about that because um, not, not to argue a, against it, um, but I know here in Nevada, uh, in the Ruby Mountains in Nevada, uh, and portions of the East Humboldt's used to be, um, they, we had some transplants that were brought here. Um, and although they've, they've kind of maintained, and there are times when they dip and there are times when they rise, but um, for the most part, where they're maintained, um, our tags have not increased, uh, I don't think, I, I, I'd have to double check numbers, but I don't think that the tag numbers have increased uh, and the huntability has improved at all since we got those, those goats. Um, so, but that would, be, that would be something that would be interesting to look at. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer on that one. Um, yeah. But it- Well, tag numbers aren't necessarily a, a reflection of population. Um, that's a lot of work sure, sure. For, for wildlife biologists to do. And a lot of times they just avoid that work. Um, so you can have populations that go way up and way down and, and tag numbers will remain consistent over decades. Sure. And, and that's what, that's what we're seeing here. 
is we've got uh, very, very small numbers of tags that are given away. I, I think it's five total, three, three to four to five total. Um, and some years, one unit will drop or rise up one here, or one there. Um, but yeah, we, we just haven't seen uh, the, the rise or fall in tag numbers like you would hope uh, they would rise. But it's, a, it's an interesting question, and I'm rattling right now to try to think of um, whether there would be a correlation and whether, you know, may, maybe we would give uh, a lot more credit to wildlife biologists, or maybe, maybe we're not getting the wildlife biologists credit enough where we should be that they got this figured out. And if we move goats over here, um, they've got more resources available. They're not competing with other animals. Um, and so they can sustain that population balance. And it, it does create a more huntable uh, and, and sustainable population uh, versus where their native range would be. Um, that's interesting. I, I don't know if you got any other uh, facts or anything like that to support that, but it'd certainly be interesting to take a look at. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, there's lots of places here in Eastern Oregon where goats are introduced and are doing really, really well. Um, you know, there's a great population in, in the Wanaha and in the Grand Ronde River. We don't even know how many goats are down there. Um, so that's an area that needs to be surveyed more heavily. But there's a lot of them. You see a lot of them. You float the Grand Ronde, you're going to see a bunch of mountain goats. Um, Hell's Canyon, very non-typical mountain goat area. Lots and lots of mountain goats. Um, they've done well in all of these mountain ranges here where they've been introduced, but they're not native populations. And I think that there's a lot of other areas in the country where mountain goats could be introduced and would do very well without competing with, an, with a native wildlife um, species that's already there. You know, I, I, I have a big problem personally with the way mountain goats have been treated by the National Park Service in the Olympic National Park and Teton National Park. Um, the thought of you know, tax dollars fueling a helicopter so that somebody can go in there and, you know, kill all the mountain goats um, because of whatever reason they've decided is worth it. Like that doesn't sit well with me at all. Um, and so the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance stepped in and actually moved, what, 450 head of mountain goats from the Olympic National Park to the North Cascades? Yeah, the, 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 Olympic National Park is, uh, I, I guess, rewinding a little bit with you, James. Um, mountain goats, for some reason, um, they are resilient, and they've shown that. And, and like you said, there, there are times where, um, such as in your area, where they can be transplanted, and they, they just take off, and they boom. Um, they're very hardy, very resilient, and, and they're they're built to withstand the most treacherous terrain and weather. So you put them on a golf course, of course, they're going to be fine. Right. And, and I say that facetiously, but um, the, so, so I agree with you there uh, that the, the problem becomes, I think, and with Olympic national park, uh, I think that issue is really tough to swallow for a lot of people. And uh, there was no right answer on how to take care of that. And we could, we could go on for hours on, on that issue. But the, the transplant 
you're right. Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, we stepped in. We, we moved as many animals as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, it's still an ongoing effort. Um, and I think they had I, – I don't want to misquote the numbers, but, but they, they still have quite a few uh, goats still up there that they're, they know they're not going to get them all. I mean, there's just – it's going to be impossible to get them all. Um, but it, it, it's been, it, it's been a tough struggle. And we're also, not only are we involved in, uh, with, with state agencies and federal agencies, uh, working with them to, to count goats and to, uh, study them, to help with studies and get uh, relocation efforts taken care of and callers, um, you know, get, getting callers for agencies to track them, um, but it, it's to, to see the, the eradication of an animal based on the definition of invasive versus non-invasive species or based on native versus non-native to the area, um, it seems arbitrary at best. And it really is a, a definitional thing. Uh, and to have such a cool animal just sort of wiped off, moved is bad enough. Um, you know, just because you, you, you pick 450 goats off the mountain, it doesn't mean all 450 survived. Right. And so that, that's another problem is uh, leaving them there is ideal. Relocating them is the next best option. Um, and, and eradication is just that that's a tough one. And, and it's, it really is a tough one to swallow. And like you said, the federal government seems to really treat goats like the redheaded stepchild. Um, and, and just, it, it, it's heartbreaking to see that such a cool animal gets put so far down the, the, the totem pole, so to speak. Um, because like you said, they're, they're really just a, a, a true North American animal and they got here, they adapted, they've done their best. They, they've been resilient. They, they've learned how to live in some really crazy, uh, uh conditions and, we just, we just move them or kill them if we don't like them where they are. You know, it, it, I, I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm getting off on a rant here. I have a hard time believing that goats are not native to the Teton area. You know, it's almost like uh, some people, if, if, if it's not written down in some journal that, uh, you know, back in the 40s that I saw a mountain goat on my hike, then mountain goats weren't there. It, it, it's amazing. I, I, I agree with you. Um, those things can travel, and they'll travel big distances. They'll, they'll hang out in a nice little spot, but um, there's documented uh, uh, evidence where mountain goats are traveling ranges upon ranges upon ranges to get from one location to another simply for resources. So you're right. Who's to say that the Tetons – didn't have its own sustainable uh, native population. Um, and they, they may have moved down into Colorado. They may have moved over to Wyoming or South Dakota or whatever, and, and then kind of spread out from there. Who knows? Um, but that's a great example of, well, it's not documented by anybody. So they must not have been here uh, up until somebody transplanted him here. And, and I don't buy that. I, I think, I think 
mountain goats are hardy enough that you find the tallest mountain that's got the nastiest scree on it and it's got snow on it, I'll bet you a mountain goat's been up there. Uh, maybe no person's been up there, but I'll bet you a mountain goat's been up there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the arguments that people throw out there all the time is, uh, is the fossil record. And goats are notoriously missing from the fossil record. So we can't even go back to the Himalaya where we think mountain goats originated from and find their ancestors. So we, we know that they came across the Bering Land Bridge. We know they came across Asia, but we don't have a fossil record to support that. Um, it's a really similar thing, in my opinion, with ibex. So we have these, uh, these petroglyphs in the Columbia Basin that look like an ibex. And if you go to Mongolia, you can find identical, identical petroglyphs. And we're talking about carving into a rock, okay? It's hard. It's not something that you put extra in. And an ibex is a really iconic looking animal. And so you go to Mongolia and you're like, oh yeah, 100% ibex. But you go to the Columbia River in Oregon and it's like, no, we don't have ibex here. We've never had ibex. It's, uh, you know, it's impossible. We don't have a fossil record to support it. It's not in a journal. You know, it's crazy. Um, and you take mountain goats coming back to the core issue. And yeah, they're all around that. Like the Tetons, part of the Rockies, okay? Rocky Mountain Goat. Like this is goat habitat in an area adjacent to where we know there's native goat populations. And you're going to try and tell me that they're not native there just because, you know, there is a gap where they're missing and then roll in with helicopters and, and shoot all of them. That's not cool. I'm, I'm a very far, far from okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right on with the, the Himalaya connection. Um, it's, you look at those animals that are supposedly really closely related to mountain goats. They don't look anything like them, but they live in the same terrain. They, 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 they act kind of the same way. They're, they're, and, and they're nomadic to a certain degree. And it's just like mountain goats. You know, no other animal looks like a mountain goat except a North American mountain goat. They're just, they're, they're just very distinctive. So once they got here, yeah, they evolved and they did what they needed to do to survive. But uh, it, I, I got to think, I'm with you, that there, there's no way that some of these big, nasty, rocky uh, cliffs that are in some of these spots where everybody's saying they're not native, yeah, they, just because they weren't there in 1930 or 40 or 50 doesn't mean that they're not native. It just means that they weren't there when somebody started documenting all the other animals that were there. There's a big difference. Yeah. So I became a member of the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance at Sheep Show a few years ago. I'd never heard of you before. Um, wandering around, saw the booth. And then um, it was right before the, the less than one banquet. And um, it was like, hey, if you become a member, then you might get a chance at a goat hunt. I was like, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> um, did not win the goat hunt, but... Um, was proud to, to support a, a fledgling conservation organization. And when it comes to conservation organizations, I am pretty particular about who I support. And one of the things that I really like about you guys is that you actually do projects. You actually do things that matter. So from what I understand, you're doing six to eight events a year where you're going out and supporting local wildlife biologists by doing surveys. You're doing big projects like 
you know, saving the lives of hundreds of mountain goats in the Olympic National Park. Um, you're doing some really cool things as a young and relatively small organization that's growing. Um, very, very impressive. Can you tell me more about RMGA? Yeah. Uh, so Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance was fired up by Pete Munich. And if you were there in 2019's Sheep Show, I guarantee you Pete was bouncing around that booth. Um, he, he concocted the idea because kind of like we talked about earlier, they, they, they don't get much recognition. Mountain Ghost just don't get much recognition. And so Pete kind of had a vision. He, he, he loves goats, uh, had a vision and decided probably in the front seat of his pickup while he's driving across Montana, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm just going to start up an organization. We're going to do what we can. Um, and off he goes. So uh, that, that's where Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance was born. And from that, we've kind of evolved into we, we kind of we, we like staying under the radar. Um, we're, we're not a big chest thumping organization. Uh, we're more about letting our actions speak louder than our words. We've got a social media presence. Um, we've got our website. We've got, you know, some, some sponsors here and there and, and people that really enjoy what we're doing. Um, but really, for, for the most part, uh, our, our, our boot leather and our pocketbooks are really our, our biggest, uh, they're the biggest mouths that we have. And we've got, uh, gosh, volunteers come out of the woodwork. And so you're, you're right. The, a, a component of our organization is the conservation committee. And it's, it, it involves four of the, the smartest guys that, that I know. And they've forgotten more about conservation than I'll ever know. But those guys are really the core of what organizations um, or what our organization is going to do and, and where they're going to, where we're going to allocate resources, whether it's uh, volunteer time, whether it's money, whether it's a hybrid of both. Um, so those guys really are the, the organization's lifeblood. So you, you go from there and we get contacted by uh, federal agencies and state agencies all the time. Uh, we get to a lesser extent, we'll get contacted by private folks, private private stuff that uh, uh, projects that are going on. Um, but for the most part, really, what we're we're primarily engaged in is figuring out what's going to benefit the Rocky Mountain goat population as a whole. Whether it's a, a, a health study being conducted by uh, the folks in Montana whether it's a relocation from Olympic National Park of goats to several other locations or a, a hybrid of both, going and doing goat counts. We've got uh, several states that uh, contact us and say, hey, we're, we're going to be doing a goat count in this location or this location. Um, we'll blast out information to our membership and people come out of the woodwork to, to go uh, – meet up with other like-minded people, you get, get your pack, you get a location, you haul ass up there and you sit behind your glass and you just count goats. Um, so we, we really try to use our time and our resources not to promote ourselves, but to, 
get the volunteers and the money in the right hands uh, that'll help goats and, and help the population, sustain populations, uh, grow populations, or, or shift populations from one resource to another. Whenever I talk about conservation, I always try to bring up the definition of it because the word gets used almost by opposing elements a lot of times. So you'll find groups like the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance who um, claim to be a conservation organization. And then you'll get, you know, a, a group that opposes all kinds of hunting and they call themselves a conservation organization. So conservation is the prevention of the wasteful use of a resource. And going back to the National Park Service using helicopters to, to kill goats um, inside of a national park, that is a wasteful use of, of many resources. And, you know, this is a great example of you guys as a true conservation organization moving in to take action to prevent that. Um, it's something that I believe in strongly. It's something that I support you in. And for those folks out there that, that you know, are also action-based people that want to, to make a difference and maybe do more than just go to a banquet and try and get, you know, a sweet deal on, you know, a, a mitten that has a, a duck or a pheasant on it. Um, you know, how do they get involved with RMGA? There is a... I've actually written articles on this and uh, I sat down and thought uh, 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 I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, like you said, what does conservation mean? And then what does it mean to me? And, and what, what do I want to put into conservation so that I get out of conservation? Um, you know, what, what I'm, I'm trying to help build and push forward. Uh, and then you, you know, you go out and you find the organizations that kind of fit up with you. Um, that being said, the, the, the folks that we tend to draw and the folks that we love the most are the ones that, sure, everybody likes to get that big fat check. You know, we, we've got uh, membership packages that go from a yearly membership all the way up to a lifetime membership. Those are great, and, and it certainly helps us in our conservation efforts in working with agencies uh, to help, help fund them in what they need to do. Um, but I, I got to say, in, in, a lot of the, uh, in, in all the organizations that I've been involved with, it's the boots-on-the-ground guys and gals that impress me the most. Um, you'll see the same faces at these GOAT counts year in and year out, and some of these people will travel from one goat count to the next. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're willing to give their time. They're willing to go out. And sure, they get something out of it. They get to see a cool area. They get to see a cool animal. Um, they get to get a little exercise, get outside, do what they love to do. Um, but that's the most impressive part of, of the, the membership benefit, I think, is Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. We're going to keep working with those organizations to schedule those types of events where we'll go out and, and we'll help capture and relocate or we'll go out and we'll count. Um, and, and having a membership that is fun, that, that fundamentally understands that it's not about just going to a banquet and hashtagging conservation. When you take a picture of your 10 person table that 
it, it goes beyond that. And, and those are the people that we love. And those are the people that we want to attract. Um, somebody like you that's walking by a booth at a, a conservation event and you say, hey, what are you guys about? And the, the, the first thing that, that we always try to convey to them is we do it differently. You haven't heard of us. And that might be a good thing. But here's why. Here's how we're doing things. And here's why. And we feel like per member and per dollar, um, we're keeping up with the big boys. We may not be outspending them and we may not have as many man hours, but per person and per dollar, uh, I would match up our little bitty organization against any other big one out there any day of the week. Well, I'm, I'm proud of what you guys have accomplished. I'm proud of what you stand for. Um, and I think that you're setting a really good example for, for people who care about wildlife. Um, so if somebody wants to become a member, how do they do it? Just jump on the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance website, and it's that easy. It's goatalliance.org. Um, and I think if you go over to the left side of the website, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. I probably should have. But um, there, there's, there's a, a Join the Alliance tab that you can click on and it kind of lays out the different stuff that, that uh, you can do. There's, there's an annual membership, there's a, a three-year membership, there's a lifetime membership. Um, and you can just jump on there and it'll dump it in your cart and you get it paid um, and off you go. And there, there's always, always projects. So again, on the website and if you follow us on Instagram, um, there's always updates on projects that are coming down the pike um and and so and we're we're we can be contacted through the website we can be contacted through uh instagram our membership leader right now is a guy named lee mcdonald so if anybody has any questions uh you can you can get a hold of us through the website you can get a hold of lee mcdonald um and that guy uh, he, he can get you through the system slicker than anything, um, get you taken care of. And if you have any questions about any of the projects or anything like that, uh, any of us can answer those types of questions for sure. And let me break it down for people a little bit more. An annual membership to the GOAT Alliance is going to cost you less than one month membership at your gym. And think of the benefit that you're giving to, to this species. And then you're going to get to go out on one of these surveys, if, if you can figure out the time and all the exercise that you're going to get, just getting into goat country is going to make it worth it. So, um, right. yeah, no, there's, there's lots of reasons to join. It's not that hard. Uh, and I think it's an important thing for people to do. And I, I never thought I was going to get a chance to hunt mountain goats. I was really, really lucky to be able to go on that. And I felt incredibly fortunate and it's an animal that, I've lived with my whole life. I've, I've seen him here in the mountains and the canyons and, and just loved being around him and being able to hunt him was incredible. But even if you're just getting involved in, in, in this organization and, and getting to help these animals a little bit, I just encourage people to do it. And then if you get a chance to hunt later on, it's going to mean that much more to you once you get that opportunity. Would you hunt him again? Oh yeah. I would sell a kidney tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. Mean it, a lot of, it's awesome. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people it's, it's a weird deal. And, and I was just talking with somebody the other day, um, mountain goat hunting, um, 
They, they live in those conditions for a reason. And they're curious animals. Um, they're, they're really neat to be around. But hunting them is, is a whole different experience. And it's, as I, I kind of described, there's, there's hunters. Um, and then there's, there's kind of the sheep hunting crowd, which is a little bit of a cult. But then the mountain goat crowd is kind of a cult within a cult. And it, they're, they're just, they're, they're tailor made for adventure because of the, the conditions that they live in and the terrain that they live in. Um, the, the later in the year you go, the nastier the weather, the cooler their coat. And so you get to see them up on some windswept slopes uh, or on a knife edge. And that wind's ripping through there at 30 miles an hour. And that coat is blowing in the air in mid-December. You're never going to get that out of your mind. And you're not going to see that live unless you get out in that crappy weather. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite an experience. And it's, unfortunately, it's, it seems like it's becoming more popular. So guys like me and you are going to have an even harder time to draw tags, right? But um, – for for the most part, people I think are starting to catch on that it's not like it, it's not the poor man's hunt for this or it's not the rich man's hunt for that. It's just a different hunt. You're just and it's hard to describe, um, and, but it's infectious. You know, you 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 you're you're in some in, in some conditions and in some terrain that you never thought you'd find yourself in, and then when you look up and and they're even higher than you are uh, in worse weather it's hard to let go of it. It's just, it, it's a different experience and they're cool animals. Uh, and I've heard people say, I'll never do that again. I'm never going mountain goat hunting again, but you know, good. That just means more for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hunting is one part of it. Um, it's, it's just an animal that, that we really need to make sure that we're taken care of. And, and, understanding how awesome they are and how unique they are is is a really important step to caring about them because it's not it's not just a sheep it's not just another goat it is a very very unique species and it's all ours it is a distinctively north american animal and we've get, we've got to do our part to keep them around jason i really appreciate your time today i appreciate your knowledge and all the work that you've done for rocky mountain goat alliance um any closing thoughts no, I appreciate you taking the time to, to connect with us and giving us a platform to kind of explain a little bit more what we're all about um, and appreciate everything you're doing and, and keeping up the good work. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I, I hope we get a chance to cross paths one day and, and maybe I'll be able to help you carry a nice big billy down the mountain. <laughs> sounds good to me I'd, I'd do the same for you so um, thanks again and uh, we'll catch you next time thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show this episode was edited by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay artwork for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatterlin and digitized by Celia Christofferson. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to share it with a friend and subscribe. You can find photos and more content on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week. <laughs>